0: Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, Lord. We thank you so much for all you do. Thank you so much for the, even the rain that we're having at the moment, and continue just blessing and watching over us. Help us, Lord, just to serve and be faithful to you. Just bless the service this morning, help it touch people's heart, and help us, Lord, to see people saved, Lord. We, we ask you, Lord, just to continue just helping our pastor as he speaks and continue giving him the strength he needs, and we do thank you for all these things, Lord, for choosing that prayer, amen. Okay, for our first song, I'd like to turn to 353, Victory in Jesus. Song, he can turn to number 57 and he'd be seated. Be thou exalted. for today, yeah, I don't think there are, right. I do have one.
1: So we could do that as a church again. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun with that before. So um, just putting that announcement out there. And see me if you say, oh, I wouldn't mind organizing that and, and make it happen. That would
2: be
0: great. So, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and do our memory verse. Um, Psalm 119, 72. Let's say it through twice. Psalm 1972. Thy law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Psalm 119.72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Okay, for our next hymn, I ask you to turn to number 147. This is my father's world. Last song before the message, I ask you to turn to number 61, and please stand for this one, Almighty Father.
3: Genesis 13, today. Also, would like to read verses uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 12. Uh, Could we have a volunteer for that? Thank you let's imagine uh, a dialogue between Abraham and God Abraham this is God speaking I want to leave everything I want you to leave everything and go to the land I will show you where's that if I told you you wouldn't believe me try me it's 1500 miles from here in a place called Canaan never heard of it I know, and guess what else? What? I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. That's impossible, I don't have any children. Don't worry. What do you mean, don't worry? Just trust me. Let me see if I got this straight. You want me to leave everything, travel across the desert to some place I've never heard of, and become the father of a great nation. Right. Is that some kind of a joke? No. What am I supposed to tell my wife? That's your problem. (laughs) Now, according to verses 1 through 7 that we just, uh, Tina's just read, what was, what was God's will for Abraham. Was it? You'll know, you bless him. But what was Abraham to do? Trust him. Okay. But well, in his trust, what was Abraham to do? And the somewhere else was, and it had a name, did it not? Canaan. Okay. He was to go to Canaan. Now read, let's read verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and that's the land of Canaan. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now he's in Egypt. Is he in God's will? Okay, we remember last time we spoke about that. No, he wasn't. He was out of God's will. He was not where God wanted him to be. And so, the question I'd like to ask us is this Are we where God wants us to be? And we'll look at that today as we look at Abraham in chapter 13. Let's pray. Bless, Lord, your word. Help it to be clear. May we allow your spirit to speak to us. In your son's name, amen. So, first thing we find in verses 1 through 4 is that Abraham returns to worship his God. So, verse 1 Abraham leaves Egypt. So, Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. So, he went up from Egypt to the Negev. That means uh, he traveled northwest, northeast, and more or less an increase in elevation. And notice something else in verse 1. All Abraham's people and possessions left Egypt with him. Now verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and gold. Now the Hebrew word translated rich literally means heavy, heavy. He was heavy with all the livestock and silver and gold. Now in ancient Near East... Wealth was measured not by land owned, but by the size of one's herd and the possessions of silver, gold, and jewels. So we get to verse 3, and Abram makes a new start in the land of Canaan. And he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Beth-El to the place where it had been at the beginning between Beth-El and Ai. So from the border of Egypt to Bethel and Ai would have been a journey about 200 miles. And he returned to where he was in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Okay, we've gone over those verses. Verse 4. To the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now, we have the word beginning in verse 3 and formally in verse 4. When, we, when the writer Moses used these two words, he was implying that Abraham needed to make a new start. Now Notice this. There, while he was in Egypt, there was no record of how long he was there, and there was no indication that he ever worshipped God. It doesn't tell us that he built an altar. See, Abraham was an altar builder. And usually whenever he went, he built an altar. But not in Egypt. And so when he went out to Egypt, he left his God behind. Now he returned to his God. He called upon the name of the Lord. He had made a new start. So now back in the land, Abraham renewed his worship and, and proclaimed the name of the Lord at an altar. So he returns to worship his God. Beginning in verse 5, we have the strife with Lot. So after Abraham came back to worship his Lord, he was ready and he was prepared to deal with and faced the crisis with his nephew Lot. Verse five, now Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. Now evidently Lot uh, Lot was wealthy also. It doesn't say he was heavy, but apparently he was. But notice something else that was added here. It says tents. Now that's gonna become important later on when it talks about his tents being built toward Sodom. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. Verse 7, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, was dwelling then in the land. Now, the land could not sustain Abram and Lot dwelling together, because the Canaanites held the best land for grazing. And so, what's implied here is that Abraham's company of followers followers had increased until a serious problem confronted him. Having so many cattle and sheep, he must be able to move quickly to secure sufficient water and grass. The problem was his nephew Lot, he had the same problem with all his possessions. So their increase in possessions created a shortage of available grazing land, and this caused strife, and that means bitter conflict. It wasn't a happy time between the uncle and his nephew, and so both of them were facing this strife. And so what, what had to be done? Well, we get to verses 8 to 13, and we have Abraham's separation from Lot. They had, to, they had to divide. So here's a solution, verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, "Please let there be no strife between you and me nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Notice in verse eight, Abram stated that he and Lot were brothers or relatives. Their common bond shared over a long period of time was to Abraham something worth saving. And so to keep that intact, they had to separate, and that was the only possibility. So he gladly called on Lot to select for himself what he desired for his household and flocks. It, one writer says, Abram's whole reaction in resolving the strife between the two households and their personal uh, personnel portrayed a different Abram that than seen in Egypt. One whose attitude was not self-centered, waiving his right to seniority he gave the first choice to his lot nephew, his nephew Lot. Now, what we're seeing here, this is a result of Abram returning back to worship his God. And so out of his heart, in his walk with his Lord, he's given Lot the first choice. And so his solution was to give Lot this first choice. And here's an irony. For one might expect Abram to cling to what was promised to him and tell Lot to go find his own place. But he didn't do that. He, he, he was being generous. Now notice Lot's response. It says that Lot lifted up his eyes. Verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan. That it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. He lifted up his eyes. Now, there are contexts where that that Hebrew word means to long for and to desire. So, Lot looked, he saw this great piece of property, and he desired it, no matter the cost. He saw it, and he had to have it. The land is described as being well watered, that means it was land that was usable for abundant grazing and agriculture. And so there would never be any more strife over water. Verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. One writer wrote these words. Probably during all the time Lot spent in that land with Abram, at night he would push back the flap of his tent and look out and say to Mrs. Lot, isn't that a beautiful spot down there? In the morning he would get up and say, my, it looks so attractive down there. The grass is always greener on the other pasture. When the day came that Lot would make a decision and go, You know the direction he went. It was an excellent choice, but it was a selfish choice. And so, and it's gonna be disastrous spiritually because it drew him into the wickedness of Sodom. Verse 12. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley And moved his tents as far as Sodom. Verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly. And sinners against the Lord. So we find in this passage. Lot lifted up his eyes. Lot saw. Lot wanted. He desired. And he moved. It says in the text. His tents as far as Sodom. So that means he moved near Sodom. What's gonna happen? Sodom's going to influence him. Because we will see that later on. And so one writer says this was the first step downwards. In 1412, we find him dwelling in Sodom, and he had to be rescued by Abram. Then in 1901, he sat in the gate, which meant he ruled in the city government. Now, so Lot gets his great place. Abraham is left with the rest of the land, which doesn't look as great. But we get to verses 14 through 17, and God appears to Abram and gives him a promise, or he reiterates his promises from, from before. I, I think uh, verse 14, let's look at that. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes. Now that's a different lifting up. Remember, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw and desired that lamb. Now God commands Abram to lift up his eyes and look at something else. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. It was only after Lot separated himself from Abram that God called Abram aside. There was something spiritually wrong with Lot, and it was affecting Abram's spirituality. So they had to separate. And so at this point, Abram is, is, receives a message from God. And so Lot and Abram are set in direct contrast. The Lord tells Abraham. Lift up your eyes to that which Lot rejected. All all the land around you, look at it. And then the Lord reaffirmed his covenant promise with Abraham. Whereas Lot lifted his eyes and saw the land around Sodom, Abraham lifted his eyes to the land God had promised him. Because that's where he's supposed to be. And then, verse fifteen, Abraham receives a gift from God. Verse fifteen: For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. We don't hear God telling a lot about that, but we hear God uh, telling Abraham about that. He is going to give it to him and his descendants, and knows how long, forever. Verse sixteen. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can be also numbered. Arise, walk around the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it you. One writer says, strikingly and unmistakably, the Lord divided the land and told them to walk and to look in all directions, forever to Abram and his descendants whom he declared would be definitely innumerable. Verse 18 And Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre which are in Hebron. and there he built an altar to the Lord. Notice Abram's response to the promise of God. He built an altar. That means he worshipped is wonderful promise-keeping God. Now, what are some lessons? First of all is this. There is hope when we fall and fail. There is hope when we fall and fail. Although Abraham may stumble and fall, as he did in Egypt, he came back. God. There is always a way back to the altar for Abraham. That's what he did. He went back to the altar that he built originally. He was the prodigal son. And any man or woman who wants to come back to God, there's always a way back. And the arms of the father are always open to receive them. So there is hope. When we fall and fail, when we repent of our sin and come back to our God, he is there to receive us. Second thought, God condemns strife among his people. Abraham's words, let's not have any quarreling, should catch our attention. The Hebrew word translating quarreling is merabah. You ever heard that before? The children of Israel. This word of Abraham must have struck a responsive note in the hearts of Israel when they later later read in this conjunction what happened with Meribah in Exodus 17. In that wilderness, there was no water to drink, and the people strove with Yahweh so that Moses smote the rock. Thereafter, Massah, or testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, became ominous names because the people, out of unbelief, provoked God and were sent to wander in the wilderness until they died. Their selfishness exhibited unbelief, so that they did not enter the land. Hereto, Lot's choice was totally selfish, so he left Abram and went off toward Sodom. God condemns strife. He doesn't want strife. In fact, he named these places after their strife and became a remembrance of their sin against Jehovah. A third lesson is this. Our focus is vital. Our focus is vital. Remember, they looked up, and so, We need to be careful at what we look, or maybe who we look. Now, notice Lot. He looked up and saw the well-watered plains around Sodom. Someone wrote, no man falls suddenly. It always takes place over a period of time. You lift up the flap of your tent, And you pitch your tent towards Sodom, and that's the beginning. Lot lifted up his eyes, he saw the plain, and he headed in that direction. That's the biggest mistake he ever made in his life. How about Abram? Well, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look the place where you stand, north, south, east, and west. Here we have two different focuses. With Lot, he is focused on the here and now. Here's what I can get right now and satisfy everything. With Abraham, his focus is on the promise of God. So that's a delayed fulfillment in a sense. Two different focuses. Two different destinies. Lot eventually loses everything. He loses his home. He loses his wife. He loses his daughter. And he loses all his possessions. He thought he was getting so much. But he lost it all. How about Abraham? Well, think about his reputation. He was known as the friend of God. Abraham had the promises of God. Abraham impacted the history of the world through his greatest descendant, Jesus Christ. So, focus is vital, focus is vital because what we focus upon will influence our lifestyle and influence the people around us for time and for eternity. A fourth lesson is this, just because we are where we ought to be does not preclude problems. Remember, Abraham gets into the land, he sets up an altar, and he worships. And we say, oh, man, things are going to go great. No, immediately his face was strife. Now, let me ask, was not Abraham where he ought to be? Was he not in God's will? It teaches me this. Just because we are struggling with the circumstances of life does not mean we are out of the will of God. I need, we need to remember that. Sometimes we, we say, Lord, why are you punishing me? Maybe he's not. Maybe he's, he, he's disciplining and strengthening us to serve him better. You could say this way, it's just because we are in the will of God we will be exempted from suffering. And that's not true. Some people say, you know what? Why? They question God. and say, God, why is this happening to me? I am doing what you want me are, to do. I am where you want me to be. And yet, I'm going through all this pain and sorrow. But God says, you know what? I didn't promise you an easy life. I promised you eternal life and fellowship with me forever. And sometimes the path to eternity is filled with rocks, stones, and thorns. The fifth lesson and last lesson is this. It is always best To dwell in God's will. It is always best to dwell in God's will. Sometimes we think we can take a shortcut. That's what Lot thought. But that doesn't work. Notice verse 18 again. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. One of the meanings of the Hebrew word translated "mamra" is richness. Richness. Also, the, the word Hebrew word Hebron means communion. Communion. Here's how Abraham's life is at this point. He has this richness from God and this communion with God. Someone wrote, That is a marvelous place to dwell. It is quite an interesting spot between Hebron and Mamre, and that is where Abram dwelt. It is a good place to be, in the place of richness and of communion with God. Warren Wiersbe wrote these words, and let me close with them. Too many Christians are tweeners They live between Egypt and Canaan, saved but never satisfied. They live between Good Friday and Easter, believing in the cross, but not entering into the power and glory of the resurrection. It's clear then that the believer cannot deliberately be content in sin since he has a new relationship to sin because of his identification with Christ. The believer has died to the old life. He has been raised to enjoy a new life. The true believer does not want to go back into sin any more than Lazarus wanted to go back into the tomb dressed again in his grave clothes. And so we find it is always best to dwell in God's will. And when we step out, we're really gonna be in trouble. And so we need to be in the place that we ought to be where God has called us. Please stand and turn in your hymnals to hymn number 442. I will follow. stand.